0: There is no life Welcome to Valley Christian Church. We hope you enjoy this message, and we would love for you to join us on Sunday mornings at 1030. We're located at 432 East Pleasant in Tulare. After listening to this message, take a moment to browse our website for current and upcoming events. It is our prayer that ultimately you learn to love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The last four weeks, we've been covering what Jesus, he got into what we call the parables, where he's teaching Uh, in in a way that you really have to dig into the scripture to understand what he's trying to teach. And as we've gotten into it, we covered one parable in four weeks. Well, you'll be happy also to know this morning we're actually going to cover two parables this morning. So uh, we're not going to stay with the other parable, but let's jump right in, because he's moved on from the parable of the soils, and we're going to pick it up in verse 24 of Matthew 13. It says that Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed seeds among the wheat and went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, the weeds also appeared. The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow, uh, sow good seed in your field? Where did these weeds come from? And his, uh, An enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered, because while you're pulling up the weeds, you may root up the wheat with them. Let us uh, let both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned. Then gather the wheat and bring them into my barn. And then skip down to verse 36. It goes on and says, then he left the crowd and went into a house. His disciples came to him and, ex- and said, Explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. He answered, The one who sowed the, seed is the good, uh, sowed the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world, and the good seed stands for the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one, and the evil one who sows, sows them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the harvester are the angels. As the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out His angels, and they will weed out out of His kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. They will throw them into the fiery furnace, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of heaven. He who has ears, let him hear. So once again, Jesus goes into this, uh, using this uh, idea of the fields and farming because of the farming community, Uh, you know, the sowing of the seeds to tell a story. And and we see here in the story that Jesus is the farmer, and he calls himself the Son of Man. And when you call yourself the Son of Man, uh, this is the same back then as calling yourself Messiah, Now, you know, as we look at the translation, we look at the statement, we think he's calling himself human, you know, son of man, because we think of man as being human. But the language is actually kind of opposite for the Greek way of thinking. So when he's calling himself the son of man, he is actually calling himself the Messiah. Today we would say, you know, to call himself human would be to say son of God, which is kind of backwards to our way of thinking. So, So when you see that in the scripture, that's what it's saying here. So Jesus himself is claiming to be the Messiah. And 18 months from now, this will be a huge deal. You know, they're all going along going, okay, okay, he just called himself that. But 18 months from now, they will kill him for calling himself this. Now, the field is the whole world. And this is where Jesus, as the farmer, is out sowing. And the good seed that Jesus is sowing is is the, the good people in this world, those that will follow him. He calls them the sons of the kingdom. Now, you, you might remember in Scripture, you don't ever see the word Christian. You know, you hear that word thrown around all the time. Well, I'm a Christian. Well, Jesus never calls them Christians. In fact, this came about in the first generation of Christians. It, it was actually an insult by the Roman people. They were like, oh, they're little Christ. That's what Christian means, little Christ. And it was a derogatory term. And they were like, little, little Christ? Fine, yeah, call us that. Call us that. We're we're little Christ, and they took that on as a badge of honor. Uh, It was the church in Antioch that basically said, "Yep, that's us, little Christ." So when Jesus, you know, he talks about uh, about Christian, he talks about the kingdom of God and the sons of the kingdom of God. Now the other seed is also sown in the field, and they're the weeds. Other translations calls them tares. And, and you hear the term the wheat and the tares all the time. You might recognize that term. Uh, I'll kind of use them interchangeably. And the enemy goes and plants them in the same exact field. The enemy is sowing, just like Christ is sowing. And it's important for, under, uh, for us to understand that Jesus is talking about the devil. Jesus is talking about the devil because we've turned this into a, you know, the, 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 what does the devil look like? Pitchfork, little horns, red all the time. You know, we've kind of turned it into to a joke. You know, even to Saturday Night Live, I always joke around, you know, joke about that, you know, where, you know, uh, who, who must it be? And I say, Dan! I like that. I grew up watching that. Maybe you don't. But the devil is not some cartoon character. Jesus believed in the devil himself. He is a real thing. He a real personality. He uses force, and he is a fallen angel. This fallen angel was created to worship God, and he chose to rebel against God. Jesus says the devil is at work in the same exact field, trying to thwart everything that Jesus is doing. Now, you might remember over the past few weeks, we've talked about the four different soils. And the devil came along and and took the seed of the hard-passed soil and and took it away. He didn't want it to get into the soil uh, at all. Well, in today's soil, the devil has sown his seed right along with the good seed during the night. Now, in this story, both seeds grow. The good seeds grow right next to the bad seeds. Does that does that feel like the world? The good seed right next to the bad seed. The tares have actually been identified as a bearded bearded darnell, a weed that grows in the wheat fields that looks exactly like wheat at the very beginning. Uh, it was a. It, uh, you know, farmers have a problem with this in wheat fields, especially over in the Middle East. Uh, in fact, it, it can be very poisonous and intoxicating, especially for the birds that come and, and pick, at the, uh, pick at the plants before it's fully developed. Uh, you know, they get a very interesting afternoon after they eat a lot of these. They get the hangover the next day. But You know, but the, the sad thing is if they eat too much of this, they will actually die from eating the bearded darnell. Now you would think, well, no big deal, this doesn't happen. You know, No one one would come through and actually go into somebody else's field and plant weeds in their field. You think that would actually happen? Well, the Romans had a couple of laws against exactly that because people would go out there against their enemy and do that. They would go out into their neighbor's field at night. Well, why the heck would you do that? Well, if there's some hatred there for one thing... But it's, you know, how our world operates. This operates on finances. If you can take down the one guy, then my, if my weed is better, if I, get more, if I can produce more, if it takes less effort, then mine is worth more than theirs. You see what I'm saying? So they would go through, so the Romans actually had a law about this. So he's telling them a story that would be totally familiar, uh, you know, w- with their line of thinking. When the field hands are asleep at night... The enemy is out there sowing the darn But they wouldn't see the problem until later on. So what do they do? They go, and blame, uh, they go and blame the Lord. Now, why would you go and blame the Lord? Why would you do this? Well, we do the exact same thing, don't we? We blame God for the bad things. We love God when, when things are going great, right? When we're, you know, you know how life is. We go through ups and downs. We love God when, it, when it's up, but when it's going down, what do we normally do? <laughs> we try to blame God. Take credit for the good, and then blame Him. You know, it's interesting. People who are successful are this way. This is how the world thinks. People who are successful are this way because they're, they're either geniuses or they're hardworking. And if you don't Succeed, the world basically says that you're dumb or you don't put enough effort into it, right? That's how the world looks at it. Now, I don't want to go too far with this, because if you are lazy, you're not going to succeed. That's not we're not talking about laziness here. But we're talking about the world just automatically thinks if you work hard, it doesn't matter what you do, you're going to succeed. Well, sometimes God allows a person to really succeed, not because he's better than you, or better than me, but because God has a plan for their life, something to affect them, a path for them to go down. And we don't understand those reasons sometimes. You can't get mad at a person just because they have money, or because they're more successful than you are just the same way as we shouldn't look down upon a person that is having a tough time right now, that's going through a difficult time. God doesn't love one more than another. Now, there is a difference between a wasteful person and someone who's not making it right now. You understand what I'm saying? There there is that difference. But it doesn't mean that a person is less godly or something like that than another person. You know, it cracks me up as humans that we wake up and we say, Lord, look at your filled Lord, look at my life, what happened? Jesus is great because he doesn't rub it in. See, Jesus goes, you know, the reason why this happened is because you've been asleep. It happened while the church was sleeping. These things happened during that time. So we have to ask ourselves, is the church sleeping while bad stuff is being sown in our fields? Hmm. Well the workers saw the crop and volunteered to go through the field and start pulling the pulling the weeds. You see some bad stuff out there? Let me get out there. I'll take care of it. But the Lord turns down their offer. He says, "No, no, no, no. Don't go out there into that field right now because you're going to do more damage than good." See, the Lord knows his workers. He knows that they wouldn't be completely, you know, they wouldn't be able to completely identify the tares or the weeds from the good stuff, and they would pull out maybe some of the good things, and, and when we're, we're talking about the seed, who are we talking about? You and I. They would go out there and actually hurt people while they're going through there, going, this shouldn't be in here. And the Lord is saying, I don't want you to do that because you're going to pull up a lot of wheat. Because early on, the bearded Darnell looks you know, very, very, I mean, just right on what the wheat looks like. In fact, i got a picture here of a bearded Darnell and a wheat. Now, you can see that they look almost exactly the same as if the bearded Darnell doesn't have the seeds that pop out. Like the wheat does when it finally fully develops. In fact, the bearded Darnell will stay a lot greener for a long time before it actually turns brown. And that's one way to tell them apart. But especially in the early stages, you can't tell them apart. But as it grows, it starts to look different. So they look the same. But in the end, it's easier to tell them apart. So the Lord says, I'm going to send my angels through there. And they're going to, they're going to go through there and they're going to pick out all the weeds first, gather them up, bundle them up, and they're going to burn it. Jesus says at the end of the age there'll be a harvest and the angels are the ones who will harvest or reap. Did you, do you understand this is where we get the picture of what we call the grim reaper? You didn't know that goes back to biblical concept, right? What do we think of the grim reaper, right? The hooded figure with the, with, with the sieve or whatever you want to call it that's going through, you know? Now it's true that angels are reapers. I mean, Christ said so. But for Christians, it's not a grim thing. Even though, you know, uh, our death can be scary, it can be lonely, it can be painful, or it can, or it can be one of those things where we're sitting there going, I'm going to the Lord. You know, we don't know the day or the time. We don't know when that will happen. And for some of us, it's earlier than later, and, and we hate that in life. We hate that. But it's not necessarily a grim reaper situation when you go to heaven. Now what's interesting in the story is the angels go out and they collect the tares or the weeds on the instructions of who? Jesus. He sorts it all out. Not us. What's really cool is that Jesus is not your average farmer. Jesus can go out into the field and he can turn a tear into a wheat. He can turn a weed into into wheat. Now, isn't that cool? I mean, think about that for a second. He can change the life of any person who is willing at any time. That's a really cool thing. It doesn't matter if you're at age five and you start to realize there's something bigger and better in this world. And, you, you know, some of us, we were like that. We grew up in church and, and we became a Christian at an early age. We, recon- you know, we followed our parents and, and so forth. And through life, you kind of have to recommit yourself. You have to go, okay, as a teenager, am I going to follow the Lord? Okay, as a college student, am I going to follow the Lord? Okay, as a young married person, am I going to follow the Lord? Okay, as as a person who's finally making enough money to actually pay my rent, am I going to follow the Lord? And throughout life, we have to ask ourselves, are we going to follow the Lord or not? But there's also sometimes... When at age 55 the Lord comes to us and we've never been a Christian, we've never followed the Lord and he changes us from a weed to a wheat. You know, Alan Marcius is one of those that would say, you know what, as a young kid I did not follow the Lord. And it was an old a- older age, and I say old, he's, he's a little younger than I. Um, he's not that old. But he would say that the Lord grabbed a hold of me at an older age. I mean, you ought to talk to Alan, his his life story is really amazing, how he was involved in gangs and and different things, and how the Lord grabbed a hold of him, and he turned that weed into a wheat, he will change us, it's fascinating when Jesus takes something that's obviously a weed, I mean, everybody can tell, all you got to do is look at it and you go, "Yeah, yeah, that doesn't belong in the church. I mean, you know what I'm saying, right? We all have a friend like that, right? If we don't, we should. You see what I'm saying? Because if all we're surrounded by are Christian friends, are we out there sowing seed? Are we out there helping Christ? Everyone can tell. They just look at it. It's the person who will say, I'll never follow Christ. And they will not go to heaven. They say, I will never commit to Christ." And then, as God gets a hold of them, it turns into wheat. Somehow, some way, before the judgment day, he can change them. You turn around and you see them, and you start to see them change a little bit and turn into to that wheat, and you're just like, huh? No, them? And God goes, yeah, that's why I didn't want you out in that field. That's why I didn't want you out there too early, pulling those weeds and getting them out of the way, because you would have pulled somebody that I wanted to turn into wheat, that I wanted to change their life. Don't give up on somebody that you know that needs Christ. And all of a sudden, they're starting to bear fruit. I'm curious, how many of you came to to God as an adult? Not as a little kid. Raise your hands a little higher. Yeah, there's several here. That's excellent. You understand what I'm talking about when Jesus turns a weed into a wheat. That doesn't mean you were all like, you know, psycho serial killers, and God changed you. I'm not saying that, but what I'm saying is you were like the world, and you realized that there was a better way in this life, and you came to God, a weed into a wheat. See, Jesus says He doesn't want the church out there wading into the field with a sickle, and you know, and time after time over the past two thousand years, the church has really tried to to act like that. They're very guilty of of trying to separate the sheep from the goats the wheat's from the tares. And we always goof in that. We always mess up in that because people are not as patient as God. And the longer we get to know the Lord, the more we understand how patient He is. Now, as a parent, I understand that more. If you've got a niece or a nephew and you're really close, you, you understand what I'm talking about here also. You know, as a parent, you know, at home, we have a monitor for Brandon that goes into his room at night, so we we know when he gets out of bed. We know you know, those things that you do as a parent to try to protect your kid. We've been lucky. Our kid never, as active as Brandon is, which is pretty active, he never tried to escape his crib. I think once he tried to climb out of it, and I got it on the radio, I go, get back in your crib, because I can put a walkie-talkie in his room so I can talk to him, you know. I, I, that's that healthy parental fear. Not the unhealthy kind, but the healthy kind. You understand what I'm saying? So he's never really tried to climb out. So when we converted his crib into one of those daybeds where you know he just has a rail, so he has a way to get in and out of it, he doesn't get out. I think he likes it because he calls us and we have to go in. I think that's what it is. But he doesn't really get out. But I'm talking about the patience of a parent. Well, the other night... He's just like going on and on and on. We finally get into bed. It was late getting into bed. And he's still playing at 10, 30, 11 o'clock at night. Well, I'm tired. I'd had enough. My patience had worn thin. He starts, you know, he called us in a, a couple of times already and finally got on the radio. I go, Brandon, we're not coming in there. You lay your head down. You go to sleep. And he's like, okay. Uh, you know, starts crying, puts a blanket over his head, and lays down. And goes like, "Well, that's fine." He, you know, my patience was gone. I'm thankful that the Lord doesn't have the same kind of patience as I do. You see what I'm saying? I mean, I had, for me, I thought I had pretty good patience. You know, when he called us in at nine o'clock, and then nine fifteen, and nine thirty, and nine forty-five, and you see what I'm saying? And you finally say, "Enough is enough." Luckily, the Lord has a lot more patience. I mean, take Peter, for example, from the Bible. I mean, we, we all love Peter because we can relate kind of Peter. He's the foot-and-mouth disciple, right? Every time he turns around, he's putting his big old foot in his mouth. Man, Peter, you're just like, can you get with it? But the older he got, he became this gentle, loving, just patient guy. In 2 Peter 3, nine, he says... Uh, He's writing and he says, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise. as Some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. You see, he wants the world. When I say the world, he's talking about the people. He wants the people to repent. See Jesus knew that shortly after he was crucified the persecution would come to the church and about 60 A.D., I mean, it really started into them. I mean, they destroyed the, uh, the temple between 60 and 70. I think it was 66 A.D. In 70 A.D., there was a lot of persecution. Uh, Masada happened during this time, and, you know, where a lot of the Jews and stuff were, were up there. And, 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 you know, 90 A.D. was when, uh, oh, man, his name went right out of my mind, where they, they grabbed it. You know, it's in Revelations where he talks about the different churches, and, and they literally grabbed one of the priests and, and bring him in, search him out. And as they were dragging him in, they went to well, they went to go find him at his house and um, I'm gonna have to look up my notes. Mine mine went blank, but he's in the house and they came to, to find him. And the Roman soldiers say, well, we need to take you back. He goes, well, sit down and have a meal with me. And those soldiers were like, okay, well, on our salary, yeah, we're going to eat before we take you in. So they sat down, and he began to talk and pray and all this kind of stuff with them. And they became Christians before they delivered him to be crucified in the stadium. That was in 90 A.D. Persecution would come. Terrible things would be, be done. They would be brought before statues of Caesar and say, bow down and call him Lord or we'll cut off your head. Many Christians were, you know, were killed and crucified. So many you know, families were separated and enslaved into the Roman Empire only because they were Christians. So Peter comes along and he's still alive and he writes to them be patient. I know you want God to come and save you right now. I know you want him to come back, but be patient because Jesus loves people and he wants them in his kingdom. That's why he's slow. You know, the early church, uh, we we hear the term all the time, Maranatha, and, and what that means is, Lord, come quickly. And you'll even, if you go to, the, to, to Rome and visit Rome, you've got to go down to the catacombs. I mean, it's something just amazing. You'll see first century graffiti on the walls. And some of them say stuff like, Peter, Paul, pray for us. We're, we're being persecuted. And the people are saying, we need help. And words like Maranatha, Lord, come back quickly, are written into the stone. They thought they were in the time of the tribulation. And Peter writes to them and says, Guys, the Lord loves those souls. Don't ask the Lord to come back too quickly because too many will be lost. He is not slow as you think he is slow. He is patient. Because he doesn't want anybody to perish. Wow. Then in verse 40 he says, Jesus goes on and says, As the weeds are being pulled up and burned in the fire, so will it be at the end of this age. The Son of Man will send out His angels, and they will weed out of His kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. They will throw them into the fiery furnace, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Jesus is very clear on this also. He knew that the devil was very real, and He also knew that hell was a real place where real people were going to spend eternity. And see, this is really the crux of the issue for us. Because there's so many people out there say, well, that is so you can't say that I'm going to hell. Well, the scriptures teach that. And I'm sorry to say, that's, that's reality. And that's what we believe. Yeah, I was reading an article the other day. There's a a denominational split for for I think uh, the um, uh, Episcopalian Church or one of the churches Presbyterian Church, and, and they did a survey out to the pastors of the, of the church, you know, the the denomination, and forty four percent of them said uh, the question was something like. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven? And 44% of the pastors of the church said no. Jesus is not the only way to heaven. They're not reading the same Bible as I'm reading. They're not teaching the same scripture as I'm teaching. 42% of them said, yes, he is uh, the only way to heaven. So there's a split happening, and there's actually another denomination being developed right now for those churches sitting there going, well, they're going off on the deep end. They're They're not teaching what the scriptures have to teach, that Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world. It's interesting that Jesus actually talked more about hell than he did about heaven because he didn't want people to go there. This is why he's so patient with the world. And we look at the world and evil things happen amongst us and we just go, how? And the Lord's sitting there going, be patient, be patient. I love these people. He doesn't want them to go to hell. Now what's really cool is, I love that the heart of God is like this. Because that means he has enough patience for me. You see what I'm saying? Wow. And I believe that if we become the heart of God, that we should have the same feeling of love toward others also. Hmm. Man. We should have the same feeling of love. those we know and those that we love that have not accepted Christ as the Lord and Savior. And that we should have the same feeling of love toward those we know and don't love. But Pastor, I'm a Christian. I love everybody. (laughs) Really? Yeah, well, good for you, liar. Man, there's some people that we just don't love, right? And that's where we got to go, Lord, give me the love because right now I don't have love for them. Mm-mm. I know it's the pastor up there teaching that I don't have love for, but, you know, give me love for them that we would adopt the heart of God to recognize that there are tears out in the field, that there are weeds out in the field. Because I know that there's a son of wickedness out there. Man, what's going on? I mean, there is evil out there in the world. And the reality is that you were once a weed yourself. And just because you may be bearing fruit now doesn't mean that others won't be able to also. I mean, how many of you have somebody specific in mind you're sitting there going, I don't like that person? Yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> There's several, huh? And we could all raise our hand. Somebody specific sitting there going, they need the Lord in their life, and I can't stand the way they're acting right now. And I want to tell them that too, but that's beside the point. We need to pray that we have the heart of God and ask God to be patient with them. Ask God to allow us to be patient with them. That in the right timing, they would say yes to him, just like we said yes to God. Then we wouldn't have to worry about whether they're going to heaven or hell. You know, what's really sad is there's many people that that are religious people that worry about whether they're going to heaven or hell. I mean, they, they, they believe in God, and they're worried about where they're going. Have you ever known somebody like that? Well, I think I'm going to heaven. I, I, I volunteered. I gave money to, to whatever church. You know, I stopped doing some of that bad stuff. Not all of it, but some of it. I mean, if I were God, I'd let me into heaven. And this is how they deal with it. They really don't know. It's sad that they don't know. If I were to die tonight, would I go to heaven? If Jesus were to return tonight, would I go? You know what? You can be sure. Because the Bible is very clear on this. If we confess him before men, if we confess him before other people in this world, he will confess us before God. We can know that if we believe in our heart that we've accepted the Lord Jesus Christ, that we will be saved. That's what the Bible says. That's what the scriptures say. If we trust in him, we are born again. A tear can become wheat We can be sure of that when we go to sleep at night. When we lay our head on the pillow, we don't have to think, am I going to heaven or not? You can be sure. Some will say, well, I've been going to church for years. Doesn't that count for something? And my answer is, nope, absolutely not. Uh Uh-uh. That does not count on whether you're going to heaven or not. Not any more than walking into a McDonald's makes you a French fry. What makes you being what makes you a Christian? Being born again is accepting Christ's sacrifice as payment for your sin. How do you know if a person is a Christian? They start to look less like a weed and start looking like the wheat. That's how you know the person is a Christian. But it doesn't happen overnight. This is why it's Jesus' job to, under, uh, to, to decide which person is a weed and a wheat and when, when it's time to harvest. It's Jesus' job. Well, let's do one more short parable here and we'll get going here. He told them another parable. The kingdom of God is like a mustard seed which a man took and planted in a field. Though it was the smallest of all your seeds, you, yet when it grows, it is the largest of the garden plants. It becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come, uh, the birds of the air come and perch in its branches. Now is where the parables get a little tougher for us, because Jesus stops explaining him, uh, explaining them. He explains the last one, and that's it. He just he just stops. He just keeps teaching here. He's assuming that those who are listening. You're going to get it. That you're you're going to dig in there if you don't understand. It's a good idea that when Jesus talks about seeds or other things, that we actually take some things and and pull them out and look at them. And and you know, right now spring is a great time. You know, the gardens and all that stuff are going in to actually pull out a seed and look at it. And, and you know, in California, our our mustard seeds are a little different than seeds in, uh, mustard seeds in the the Middle East. Our, ours are actually a little bigger. Than the ones there. The ones there, I mean, it's like a grain of sand, the mustard seed. It is so small, it's a little tiny seed. And I think what Jesus is telling us is a little tiny grain of truth is a lot like the seed in this parable. Well, a seed is a product, but it's also a producer. Seed is something that you have to decide, am I going to consume, am I going to eat, or am I going to plant this? So you have to make that decision. Seed also is something that has to die to bear fruit. So you see a lot in this illustration here. I think Jesus is telling us, you know, great things come from small beginnings. I mean, we live in Tulare, right? Small town USA, You know, I grew up in Houston. I, you know, then we moved to the Bay Area, and then coming out here, things are different in small town USA than they are in the Bay Area in Houston. Many great things are different, and other things not so great. You see what I'm saying? There's there's advantages and disadvantages here, but great things can come from small beginnings. You know, I think when I thought through this, I was thinking of Joyce and Bob, Andy. They're not here today, but. But the older couple that sits right up here behind uh, uh, Joe and Hilda, they usually sit right there. Do you, most people know who I'm talking about, right? I'm sure that when they started dating, and that small bit of an infatuation started, get, you know, coming, started bringing them together, they did not imagine the life that they've had together and the family that would come out of it. I mean, a really cool, great family that, you know, sometimes I, I'm sure that for them it feels like a lifetime ago. You know, 20 years ago when I, uh, actually 23 and a half years ago when I met Lisa. Uh, we've been married for 20 years this, uh, this last year. And I, I could not imagine my life now with Lisa. Especially because my, my brother actually asked her out the same day that I asked her out. And she said no to him and yes to me. It's a fun story. Ask her about it. I didn't know for several months. Of course, being a great brother, I threw it up in his face. But hey, that's a whole other story. See, the Lord is talking about his own kingdom here. He has 11 committed guys and one not so committed. 11 committed guys that that are following him. Small beginnings. 2,000 years later, there are 2 billion Christians in this world of different colors and flavors of worship. That's a pretty interesting mustard plant, isn't it? Small beginnings. You can be that seed in your home. You can be that seed in your neighborhood. You can be that seed in your office. You can be that seed in your school. How, often, well, you know, how awful would it be for me to put all the time and effort and energy here you know, at church and didn't do anything for my child at home? That would be terrible, wouldn't it be? It'd be the same thing for, for you to, to you know, put all your time, effort, and energy into your job, but not for your family at all. So my question is, at your job, do you reflect the Lord? At your school? At the baseball game you go to? Whatever you do, do you reflect the Lord in your life? That's a hard question. I think sometimes the answer is yes, and sometimes the answer is not so much, because we don't want to ever say no, right? Maybe not so much. Small seeds. I want to encourage you to begin investing in the small things of God, because allow the Lord to grow that small seed within you of knowing where you're going i sitting there going, I've accepted Christ, and I'm going to heaven, so therefore I have nothing to lose by living His way in this world. Nothing to lose. Well, let's stand as the worship team comes up. Let me bless you guys before we go. Lord, as we, as we close up the service and we start thinking about the things we're going to do the rest of this day, let's not forget who you are and what you can be in our life. Lord, if we've been living as a weed when we're supposed to be wheat, we pray that you turn us, you change us. Lord, I also pray that, if, that whatever small seed that you have us, wherever you have us planted, that we would grow into a mighty plant, a mighty mustard plant, that you would change us into something that other people could use because it affects your kingdom. Now the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord's face shine down upon you. And may he give you rest. May he give you strength. May he restore the joy of your salvation. In the name of the Father, Son and Holy Spirit. Amen.